Greetings, I'm Jim Santos, and this is Bigger, Better World from International Living. In this podcast series, we introduce you to a bigger world full of communities that are safe, welcoming, beautiful, and largely undiscovered. A better world, a friendly, warm, great value world where you can live richer, travel more, invest for profit, and enjoy a better life. We talk with our writers, but also other people, just like you, who took a chance and followed our guidance to create for themselves bigger, better lives all around the world. So let's get started. Our guest this week is Kathleen Evans. Kathleen hails from the U.S. and has lived in several countries. When her nearly three-decade career as a media executive in Austin became overwhelming, She and her husband decided to leave the corporate rat race and find a slice of paradise in Costa Rica in 2013. An avid traveler, cruiser, and adventurer, she has been to six continents and 96 countries. Kathleen has been a correspondent and contributor for International Living since 2017 and currently splits her time between Costa Rica, Malta, and the U.S. So, Kathleen Evans, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jim. Now, understand, Kathleen, uh, in our introduction here, we mentioned that you've been to six continents and 96 countries. Uh, That's an awful lot of travel. When did you start doing uh, that travel? Yeah, right. That's pretty crazy. Well, my my mom was a nurse and she retired and became a travel agent. Oh, well, that helps. So it, it kind of rolled into this. She had this passion for travel and... Uh, fortunately, they took me on every trip that we ever did. So, um, yeah, it ended up, it's funny because a, a lot of people have asked, oh, how many countries have you been to? And I was like, I don't know, 50, 60. And then I filled out one of those little maps where you, oh, what country have you been to? And, you know, mm-hmm. Asia, click, 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 click. Click. What about Africa? Click, click, click. And all of a sudden I looked at it and it's like, whoa, 96 countries. Okay. But that is including Caribbean islands. So, you know, each island is a, is a country nation. Right. I suppose as a public yeah. service who should point out to the people born after 1985 that a travel agent is someone who used to help you arrange travel before the <laughs> internet. Right. And there's actually, from what I'm hearing, kind of a trend in the post-COVID Armageddon. There's kind of a trend of people going back to travel agents. Oh, interesting. So they don't don't have to deal with these, you know, hour and a half waits just to talk to an airline when you've been bumped and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, you know, it's making a comeback. So when did you start traveling? Yeah. What year? Oh, yeah. So really, as a child, um, started traveling in the United States initially, but then uh, trips to Mexico, uh, cruises to the Caribbean. So, you know, in in grade school, I was in grade school. So I kind of got a head start. Um, Before I was out of school, I had probably been to a couple dozen countries. And when you were working in Austin, was there a particular event or realization that made you decide that there were better ways to spend your life than in a corporate office? Oh, absolutely. Well, it happened daily. Um, when I was in media sales um, as an account executive uh, for publishing radio and television um, in the entirety of my career. And 
each year became more challenging. You know, there's the good old days of Mad Men and the martini lunches, but those kind of went by the wayside by the time I entered the industry. Um, and you're in sales, you're only as good as your last sale. And it's, what do you have for me today? And uh, it, it's funny, I, I had a co-worker when I was at, a, at one of the CBS affiliates I worked for, and she would call me on Sunday night, and it was 60 minutes had just started, and you know, the little <laughs> clock they had, the right, timer, the tick, 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 yeah. tick, 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 and she'd be like, okay, sales beating starts in 12 hours. You know, it was one of those kind of things. And we didn't call it a sales meeting. We called it a sales beating. <laughs> and, you know, corporate America just kind of took over and merged. And it was all about answering to your stockholders. And as media became more fractionalized, uh, it, it was tougher to hold an audience. And uh, that's still true today. So you're not seeing the kind of sales you saw in the 60s, 70s, even the 80s. You right. Know, there's when, there's when, so many streaming services now. Um, right. Streaming. And, and even back then, it was cable, you know, started fractionalizing everything. So well, my wife and I, since we lived in Ecuador for six years, we got used mm -hmm. to just streaming uh, before most of America did. Right. And when we would come back to the U.S. and our kids would have the TV on, we see commercials and and it's like, what the heck is that? <laughs> right. What is this advertisement in the middle of my show? Right. Well, I come up from this weird background of hating them but loving them because they they did keep me afloat for many years. Right. So, um, but I I don't know that there's actually a defining moment, uh, but it's interesting because I was actually a subscriber to International Living, the paper-only version, mm -hmm. starting in the mid or early, early mid-90s. I, uh, I had been at a friend's house and I saw an International Living sitting on their her parents' coffee table. And I picked it up and I started thumbing through it and went, wow, you could actually live abroad, live like, like, that's it. Pick up and move. Look at all these people who have done it. God, I want to do it too. Uh, so so I, I pulled out the little postcard inside the magazine, you know, back in the day. So that we may have some listeners here who, who don't even know that existed, but there was a little postcard and you filled it out and you put a check in an envelope and you mailed it <laughs> and boom, there each month you got a, a magazine. So I I actually subscribed long before I ever contributed to the magazine. Um, so it, it kind of came full circle, but I that was always in the back of my mind. And um, shortly thereafter, I married my husband, who was also an adventurer. And and everywhere we went, we said, "Could we live here?" And if the answer was yes we would actually find a real estate agent and look around and, you know, stop in the store and look at the cost of living. And so we did that all over the Caribbean, in Mexico, uh, in Panama, in Belize, in, in Greece. Um, so the foundation for actually moving started decades before we actually did it. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's almost exactly how my wife and I got started. Uh, Is that right? We saw International yeah. Living Postcard. Ours was online because it was a decade uh-huh. or so later. Uh, but we saw that and we had both independently subscribed. And okay. it was the same thing. Like you said, we would travel. We were, I remember sitting in uh, Italy and still trying to work. We were in a bar because they had internet. And I'm trying to work and there's a, a football game on and people are screaming while I'm <laughs> trying to talk to somebody they're rebooting their computer. But yeah, it was the same thing. You, you're always asking, could I live here? Right. And it's surprising how often the answer is, yeah, I think I could live here. Right. Right. Yeah. And we specifically looked at places because of international living. Right. Um, and we, we kept returning to Costa Rica and that kind of after a while became the goal. Uh, but I was still, still working in corporate America. Um, but the, I wouldn't say there's a defining moment, but I, I've really become overwhelmed with the situation and I was starting to have some stress related health issues. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like, you know, we had a, a come to Jesus meeting and my husband said, you know, are we just going to talk about this for the rest of our lives or are we going to do it? And I said, you know what? I think we should do it. And that's kind of how it became the thing. We're really going to do this. Um, but we wanted to sell our house uh, before we left. And the housing crash happened perfectly timed with when we were ready to leave. It, it took quite a quite a few years, actually, to sell our home. Before you were ready, yeah. Yeah, so we were ready, and we had some ideas and had been to Costa Rica many times and had narrowed it down to a few places. Um, but But we did have to wait, and that's okay. That's the way it worked out, and I was able to work a few more years and stash away some cash, too. Mm-hmm. Well, you're very fortunate that both you and your spouse were totally into the idea. Yes. And, th- and that's a key factor too. Um, I've been in Costa Rica almost 10 years and I've seen a lot of expats come and go. And many times I mean, there's various reasons why they leave, mm-hmm. but many times it's one spouse is on board and the other one really isn't. Yeah, my book, Living Abroad, I, I wrote about that because uh, we also saw that happen. And sometimes it could just be as simple as one must live on the water or in a big city and the other one wants right. a small country place. Yep. Uh, one starts to learn the language better than the other and there starts to be conflict in that. Uh, so it's it's really important. I, I feel like if you're if you're in a relationship and you go try to do something like this overseas, if your relationship is strong, it's going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And if it has problems, well, you might find your problems get a little bit bigger too. Right. Yeah. Right. Completely. So you moved to Costa Rica. Did you buy when you first moved there or were you renting? Um, we actually, well, we had been there probably eight times and spent um, several weeks when we were down there. So we, we had a very good idea of of the community we wanted to move to. And that was Tamarindo, which it's a very popular tourist town mm-hmm. on the beach. And uh, we, this, we had narrowed it down to, we wanted a condo. We wanted something turnkey. 
because we do travel still quite a bit and now we're splitting some time also. So we want to turn key. We narrowed it down to three condo buildings that we liked. And then once everything sold, we got stuff put in storage, we rented for three months just to make sure. And that was actually in our second choice, not our first choice. And turned out the second choice became our first choice. So we were there three months and we said, yep, this is it. Bought a condo in the building, bought a car before we left to come back and really pack up and ship the container. So so you did ship a container um, as well. We did. Most of the condos down there are furnished already mm-hmm. or at least partially furnished. So most people... Um, certainly in that area, do not send a shipping container unless they're bringing a car. But we talked to some of the uh, the furniture package people, and it was pretty costly. So, you know, if you wanted rental grade, pretty crappy stuff yes. <laughs> uh, at that time, and this is 10 years ago, prices have gone up significantly, but it was about $20,000 to furnish a two-bedroom condo. And that was everything. Uh, plate, you know, dishwares and art and furniture and, and linens and that sort of thing. Uh, then they had another package that was about 50 grand, which was, you know, a little nicer. And that, you know, you could go upwards from there. They had a 70 and a $90,000 package. And I said, well, that's insane. We're selling this big giant house you know, we we can split the furniture and still have nearly enough. And uh, I looked into shipping uh, from Austin, Texas to Tamarindo. So that goes to the port of Houston down to Puerto Limon on the Atlantic side, the Caribbean side. Then they take it over to San Jose. It goes through customs. They load it on a truck uh, and take it up to your condo and drop it off for $10,000. Right. Yeah. We shipped a container ourselves. And uh, yeah. when you're doing your due diligence, you really need to spend some time, like you did, going there first. And uh, I'm, right. I'm pretty sure you also went to all the malls and checked out the prices uh, and the quality of things. Absolutely. Because even things like linens and towels, they may be cheaper, mm-hmm. but they may be a pretty poor quality. Uh, exactly. Pots and pans. Yep. Cutlery, things like that. I, I remember um, in a restaurant in Ecuador trying to cut a steak and the uh, knife kept bending. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that sounds about right. I, I, I see some similarities here in Latin America. <laughs> and, and the other consideration, I think, is uh, uh, homesickness is a real thing and uh, culture shock is a real thing. And if you have some of your stuff, you know, some, yes. some stuff that's familiar to you or some of your favorite things. It could be chairs or in my case, musical instruments or, you know, anything like that, that reminds you of home. And so it doesn't feel quite as foreign Uh, that can really help lessen that shock that expats go through for the first like six months or so. Right. Right. I agree with that. Um, You know, there's two schools of thought. Some people want to start fresh with a whole new look. Um, But we were happy to have our familiar things and our favorite mattress. Mm -hmm. Um, Sleep becomes important, especially as you age. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We were happy. We did the shipping container. It showed up only a week late, 
Um, and we only lost two fairly unimportant items. Yeah, you can also just ship pallets now too. Ah, so you don't have okay. to go all the way yeah. and ship an entire household. You can just ship, uh, you know, a comfortable amount of stuff. Right. In fact, our shipper did shared um, containers as well. So you moved to Costa Rica. You're mm -hmm. living there. How did Malta enter the picture? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, we are permanent residents of Costa Rica. So we have all of our rights there except for voting. Um, but when COVID hits, we, uh, we were pretty much Costa Rica bound. Um, they, there were no flights in and out for months. Both airports, all seaports, everything was closed. Um, and, right. and this went on for quite a long time. And so, you know, some of the folks that that needed to get back to the States, whether it was, you know, a, a, an aging parent or or some reason they needed to get back, they could fly home. There were repatriation flights. Um, United had several of them to Houston. One way, extremely expensive. I was going to say, I bet there was a, a nice Ooh, charge. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was one way because you could not come back to your home right. unless you were a Costa Rica citizen. So even with permanent residency, they would not let you back in. We were there for about a year and a half. And we realized, especially being in Tamarindo, I mean, it's a it's a small beach town. And we love that, but there, there's no arts um, and we're, you know, there's, there's no history and we are, we're travelers and we're big fans of all of those things. We love the beach and we love food, but we also love museums and history and, you know, Europe kept calling and, you know, international living covers Europe very well. And right. we're seeing this trend of people who are very much considering places like Portugal and Spain. Um, and we said, hey, you know, we've been wanting to get to Malta. We, we stopped there once on a cruise right before COVID. And so uh, we, we went there last year and spent extended time. And we love the island. Um, it, it's not for everybody, but it's a pretty cool place. And it's a, it's a great launching pad for all of Europe. You know, you've got all these discount airlines like Ryanair and Wizz Air, and you can get anywhere within two hours. If I remember my geography, Malta is kind of just south of the, the toe yes. of Italy. Yes, south of Sicily, right in the Mediterranean. I mean, it's, it's a less than an hour flight to North uh, Africa. So it's got this unique position where, you know, you can easily get to the Middle East, you can get to all of Europe, you can get to North Africa. It's got a great history, beautiful architecture, and uh, one of the official languages is English. And yeah, oh, for, nice. for expats who have lived overseas and sometimes struggle learning a foreign language, especially older adults it, it does become challenging right. for a lot of people not everybody um but 
my husband prefers to be able to pick up a phone and call someone and ask a question and they understand there's nothing lost in translation. Yeah, as I was trying to learn Spanish mm -hmm. in Ecuador, that was probably the most frustrating <laughs> thing was trying to navigate voicemail right. and, and then phone conversations right. when you lose so much when you can't see it, the person. And yeah. you're trying desperately to figure yeah, out what no, they're saying. That's very true. It, 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 it's funny how hand motions and reading lips and pointing. and Yeah, it's so mm -hmm. much easier in person than on the phone. Like I, I would be practicing, practicing my phone call to make an appointment to do something, you know, have it written out. and. <laughs> Right, have a little list. Handy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, you know, and all of the forms are in English. So it's uh, it, it's easier that way. Now, how do you handle accommodations now? Do you have a place in Malta and a place in Costa Rica and a place in the U.S.? That is the plan. We call it the trifecta plan. Um, we okay. <laughs> we did not buy. We did look at quite a bit of real estate in Malta and stayed in two different parts of the country to see if we wanted to be close to the city in the Inner Harbor area, which is it, it's pretty overpopulated. Uh, but there's so many choices for shopping and dining, and you know, all at your fingertips. You don't need a car. You can walk everywhere, or would that be yeah. in Valletta? In, um, yeah. V outside of Valletta, there's a suburb called Slima, uh, right, right across the harbor. Well, on the other side, on the north side. So it's a 15-minute ferry. Super easy. Um, but we also stayed in the north part in a place called Maliha, uh, which is a beautiful beach community. Um, you know, the, the island had some rocky beaches. Um, but then it also has some very pretty sand beaches, mostly in the north and in um, the islands of Comino and Gozo, which are part of Malta, um, but just north of the, the main island. I was ready to start the residency process and plunk down the cash to buy a place. And then we, bo we both, here, here's our next come to Jesus meeting. And it's like, okay, <laughs> How long did it take us to decide on a place in Costa Rica? Like a decade once we got serious about it. So let's let's see where the dust settles next year. Um, you know, there there's a war at their door. We really at that time we were there in the spring and summer, didn't know what was going to happen with the the war in Ukraine. Um, inflation was raging. And the interest rates hadn't gone high enough for housing prices to start tumbling. So, you know, we figure there's probably going to be better opportunities next year. Right. It's much like the U.S. right now. It's probably not the best right. time to be buying. Right. So ultimately, we're looking at the trifecta of Malta, a triangle of Malta, Costa Rica, and the United States. We have similar plans. We set up... Um... Uh, home in East Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. As, we think of it as equally inconvenient to all of our kids. <laughs> right. right. So it's, we're, we're a day's drive away, but it eliminates right. the drop-in. Right, right. So. Actually, that's perfect. <laughs> close enough, but not too close. And it's in an area that has mild winters and you know mild summers. So if we lock up the house for a while and go traveling for two, three months Right, time, right. And it's a beautiful country. And COVID interrupted our plans also. So now we're, we're just just to the point now that we're starting to look mm -hmm. at 
what will be our target country to start with. And then I keep hearing about all these wonderful places like Costa Rica and Malta and uh, Portugal is really Yes, right Portugal's, the, yeah, wildly yeah. popular. Is that one of the 96 countries you've been to? According to the little chart that I filled out, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I studied in Cambridge in college in England. So mm -hmm. uh, pretty much all of Western Europe was covered, you know, before I was even out of school, uh, because it's, you know, mm -hmm. such a fabulous launching point to, right. to backpack through Europe, which I did quite a bit of. Right. So easy to hop on a train. Yeah, and covered that. The and then um, I had a midlife crisis early and actually left all my responsibilities for a year and traveled around the world for a year. And um, part of that time, I lived in South Africa and did some work with the Red Cross. So I was able to um, travel through all of the southern part of the African continent. I understand you've also spent some time on cruise ships. Yes, actually, I've probably been on about 30 or hmm, 35, 40 cruises. Um, my, my family... My mother was a big cruiser. Actually, both parents loved it. Um, they loved the fact that you could just get on a ship, unpack once, have everything included in whatever you do, and, um, you know, wake up in a new place. Here's a new country. Okay, great. What are we going to do today? So, you know, it started with the Caribbean and Mexico, um, and then we did an Alaska cruise. And since then, um, I've done quite a few cruises, uh, did a big 45 day one from uh, Singapore to London. And this was in 2019, right before COVID. And uh, I, I wondered, I said, I said, I'm not sure about 45 days. That's kind of a long time on a ship, especially right. since you're, you're crossing big swaths of, of water. And so, you know, a couple of crossings were four days on the ship. And lots of time at sea. Yeah. So it turned out to be one of the best, best vacations of my life. And um, when you're on a ship that long, it becomes a community. And you, you really do make friends and make plans. And hey, what are you doing when you when we get to Goa, India? We're gonna go to this beach. You want to go with us? You know, that sort of thing. And uh, it, it turned out to be pretty fantastic. And you know, I looked at my husband and said, yeah, I think I could live on a ship. This is pretty cool. <laughs> well, that actually brings me to the article we wanted to discuss with you yeah. today. Uh, in International Living's April 2022 edition, uh, you had an article there called Wake Up to a New View Every Day Aboard a Cruise Ship. Right. Yep. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the concept there? Yeah. So I had the pleasure of interviewing one of the CEOs, Alistair Punton, um, and he and his partner, Shannon Lee, are developers, um, but they've never actually developed a cruise ship before. Um, but they had this concept uh, that you could actually live on a ship, but it's not really a, a, a traditional cruise ship where, uh, you know, you're, you're in a port for eight hours, you're on to the next place, you've got to be on the ship, you know, that sort of thing. This is, this is condominiums, right? So uh, you're not just in a small cabin, right? These are condos. Now, some of them are small, 
the lower end ones, but um, they've got, so the whole idea was initially they were going to take an older ship and refurbish it, but then they couldn't create what they wanted to do in, in the way of a modern cruise ship where you've got a back end that rolls out and you can zip in on your, on your uh, jet ski and that sort of thing. So they really wanted something from scratch. And so they uh, started working with some companies to come up with a plan to create a cruise ship, a residential ship, really not a cruise ship with uh, 547 fully furnished condos. And you actually buy into this cruise ship. You you own the condo. Um, You can come and go as you please. And as an owner, you get to vote on the itinerary. So they create these itineraries around the world. And um, it's, it's, as I mentioned, it's not traditional where you're just in a port and the next port and the next port. They spend time there. So you go in, you may be there three nights, five nights. You can really get to know that that area. Um, you can stay on land if you want. You can go see friends. You can, you know, go inland into the country and then meet up with the ship in the next port if you want. You know, there's no, you've got to get on board. The whistle, whistle blows at 5 p.m., Um, And so uh, I was kind of fascinated with that idea, uh, especially since I've I've been such a cruiser for much of my life. But, you know, this is a little more unique in that a ship this size would normally have about twenty five hundred or more passengers. Um, But Alistair assured me the maximum they'd ever have is fourteen hundred. And typically only a thousand residents on board at any given time. And these condos have, uh, have kitchens. They actually do not. And I found that interesting. Um, so this, this concept is not new. Uh, there is a ship that's been around for decades called the world. And initially you could buy in, um, you know, at a fairly affordable rate. Now I don't think you can touch a condo in there for under 5 million. I mean, you know, Madonna has a condo on it. It's, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's not a live on your social security. Yeah, right, kind right, of right. Kind of situation. So I actually, and it's kind of this, you know, very wealthy closed circle of people. And it's hard to penetrate into even finding someone that owns on that ship. Um, right. I, I was fortunate to track down a gentleman and he and his wife had a two-bedroom condo on it uh, several years ago. They've since sold it and bought a place on Storylines, this new conceptual cruise ship that they're building. Um, and, and he said, circling back to the kitchen thing, he said they had a kitchen on their on the world. Everyone has a kitchen. But he said, you know, we hardly ever used it. And he said, it's kind of silly. It, it's it's a space waster. You know, you could have a microwave and a mini fridge. But um, the, the concept on this new ship is that they have 20 dining and bar venues on the ship. 
So your monthly HOA fee, your homeowners association pays for the food, you know, unless there's an upcharge for lobster or something like that, your food is inclusive. And not, yeah, I was going to ask about that. I assume there'd be a monthly fee right, right. for this in addition to purchasing. Yeah. So these, you know, dining rooms have rotating menus. Um, they do seasonal items where, the, you know, where they're located and they have 24-7 room service. So if you wake up and, you, you know, you want your morning bagel and a coffee out on your deck, you just call room service and they deliver it. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to uh, have a kitchen, but each uh each deck will have a community kitchen. So if you love cooking, you can certainly do that. You can go out on land, buy, you know, buy all the ingredients and cook up a meal for the family or, you know, a group of friends or something like that. Right. So I found that kind of interesting and a great way to make use of more space for living and, and sleeping. I assume there'd also be some kind of medical facilities on board. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, the way I understand it, they will have a medical clinic with a doctor, a nurse, a pharmacist, a nutritionist, and a physiotherapist. So they they will have, it'll be set up for emergency medicine as far as they'll have a helicopter landing pad um, if there's any medical evacuations, but they would be able to take care of any minor emergencies. But one of the things that Alistair really stressed to me was that part of living on board is that they give you a specialized health plan So they work with exercise, diet, your mental state, Mm -hmm. um, because they're trying to create this happier, healthier, longer lifestyle on board. So you would, you would need to have some sort of international health care, at least with medical evacuation. So if there was something major, um, you're covered. Yeah. I'm thinking we need some sort of, uh, pretty well-equipped pharmacy on board too, for people who are on like regular medication. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, they would specialize towards that, you know, if an owner, you know, has diabetes, they would make sure they have that medicine on board. So this really sounds very nice, but I have a feeling it also sounds a little expensive. Uh, This doesn't seem like it's more of a kind of a budget operation either. Right. It is. It isn't. It isn't. Um, Now, again, getting in on the ground floor, there were some, you know, uh, some of the smaller, like the 377 square footer uh, that you could get for under 400,000. But all of those have sold. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're looking at prices if you want to buy for a lifetime, uh, eight hundred and seventy-five thousand on up to eight million, and, and you know those are two. The eight million you're getting a uh, four-bedroom, spiral staircase, two levels, you know, sweeping balconies right. uh, over the sea and that sort of thing. But um, I just received actually a a press release from their PR company and. For the unsold units, there there has been a lot of interest in fractional ownership, which really brings it down to a much affordable level. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that 377 square footer I was talking about, uh, they've got a 25% uh, share at 598,000. Um, and that's for the life of the vessel. So you own that, you can pass it on to your children um, and, and you have a, a full quarter to be on the ship. So is that a consecutive quarter? I mean, it's yeah, you know, three consecutive yeah. months and right. I assume three it kind of rotates yeah. through the year too, so that you have different seasons. They didn't specify that, but I'm assuming that would make sense. Yeah. I'm thinking of condos. There's quarter share condos that have right. similar arrangements right. so that everybody gets kind of the, the prime weeks sooner or later. Right. Right. Now, you can also get a bigger one um, at 721 square feet. Uh, and all of these have balconies. Uh, the 25% share on that is $1,275,000. That, that one's a little more costly, mm -hmm. uh, but you, you know, it's twice the size. Yeah. So. Any idea what the monthly fees are for... Yeah, the monthly fees. So, so the smaller, uh, the smaller one would be uh, four thousand four hundred and fifty per person per month, and then the larger one would be six thousand one hundred sixty-seven per person. So you've got you've got some monthly fees that you know initially you kind of turn your head and go, "Woo, that's quite a bit," but for People who are, for example, even on these, uh, the 25% shareholders, uh, that if you have a home on land, which you probably will, if you're only going to be on a ship for a quarter, right. um, you can rent your home, right? right. And if it's, a, if it's a nice home, you could cover those expenses. Plus, you wouldn't be paying for other things that you normally would. Right, you don't so, have utility bills or grocery bills. Or... You yeah, grocery bills. I mean, those are insane too. And and this includes alcohol unless it's, you know, specialty, you know, a fine champagne or wine or something like that. But otherwise, that's all included too. And I would assume these days there's onboard Wi-Fi and access to streaming Absolutely. media, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Because I talked to Alistair about that and I said, you know, that this is great. You're living on a ship, but you don't think about this day-to-day -day living, you know, and, and sure, we can do a lot of things online as far as banking and stuff like that. Um, but he assured me uh, there's actually going to be a bank and money exchange on board. Um, so if you were, um, you know, transferring money and you needed cash or something like that, you can get it right on the ship. Um, they are going to have the best of Wi-Fi available. Um, you know, and that's that's been a drawback on the world. Um, that's what Tony, the previous owner, had told me. Uh, he was trying to run a business. And, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, Wi-Fi was quite unreliable on a ship especially. So, um that was part of the reason he sold. Now, now it's a little different. So um, he also, uh, Alistair also said that if you have a phone, 80% of the time they're actually on land. So you could have a regular phone package and it's going to work most of the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, he said they'll always be looking at improvements on that as well. Um, and you can bring your dog. 
they allow pets. They actually have a whole pet relief area mm-hmm. and there will be a vet on board. So that's that's kind of cool, you know, for homeowners because uh, let's face it, you know, at least 50% of us have pets. Right. So Fido gets to come along. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of cool things. Um, if you want to sit in a hammock and do nothing, you can, but they have you know, all kinds of water sport activities. You can bring your golf clubs and store them and go golfing. Um, you know, that they're going to have a, a movie theater, an art studio, a bowling alley, um, a 10,000 book library, and rotating entertainers as well. Now, you said this was under development. How far are they from an actual launch date? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I would put up a small red flag on anything conceptual. Know what you're getting into. Do your due diligence. Uh, the the ship has had some delays, um, first with COVID. Of course. Uh, where everything kind of shut down for quite a while. And then evidently there were some um, steel shortages. Right. And obviously a ship like this is going to need a lot of steel. So um, they do have a contract with Broad Split Shipyard, which is in Split, Croatia. Um, They have a design uh, group out of Sweden that is working with them. So their their PR folks told me it is uh, now booked to set sail in 2024. However, it is my understanding that they have not actually started production on it yet. That's as a projection at this point. Right. That is a projection. Um, it all it all appears as if we've got a green light. I see, you know, Travel and Leisure and Forbes uh, covering the ship as well. So I would always say. I'd, I'd rather see the bones first. Um, mm-hmm. And I think some of the early adapters might see some price increases too, because, you know, this whole concept was pre-COVID. Right. So um, I would assume that prices may be creeping up, if if not in the ownership, at least in the um, the fees, the monthly fees. Is there a website where interested parties might be able to go to take a look at this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I believe it's uh, storylines.com. Okay, so anyone interested could go to storylines.com and yep. take a look at uh, some computer mock-ups, I'm assuming, of what yes. life aboard yes. the ship could be. I would like to point out that uh, this is not an international living project or anything that international living uh, supports or, or recommends. This is something that we're reporting for your interest and certainly encourage you to do your due diligence and check out everything before you would consider investing in in anything these days, really. 100%. Um, I wanted to do this story because I'm a cruiser and I've been fascinated with life at sea. Um, and, and it is uh, definitely something, if you're a big cruiser or you'd like to travel that way, it's something to consider. Yeah, and the cruise industry has really taken quite a big hit from COVID, uh, probably more than any other industry. Yes, they have. What What is your take on that? Are things getting any better? Or? 
Yeah, you know, Jim, it's interesting. Uh, since COVID, I have been on two cruises, mm -hmm. and fortunately, I have not gotten it. Um, they are taking better precautions. Um, some of them, especially for anything a week or longer at sea, you you do have to test. You have to come with a negative COVID test. Um, they look at your vaccination cards. Um, some are getting a little more lax on that. Um, I've seen cleaning, way more cleaning than I'd ever seen before. Right. Um, but one of the interesting things that I did want to mention, I, I asked Alistair about that because, you know, when these when COVID happened, all the ports shut down and nobody could, they, they didn't even want the ships to pull in ports. Right. I remember. And, 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 you know, I asked him about that. I said, well, you know, if you're living on a ship there, you can't go to port and fly home if you don't have a home. And he said they are working with a number of countries around the world to give the homeowners on um, storylines, an actual temporary residency. So when they pull into that port, for example, they pull into Singapore, they have temporary residency so they can follow whatever rules Singapore has for their residents. So if you're, al if you're allowed to move about the country, uh, but mask or whatever that model looks like, they will allow you to disembark because you will have your temporary residency while they're in port during the medical emergency. Do you know what country's flag the ship itself will be sailing under? Ah, good question. I don't know. Yeah, I was just curious about that or if you need any special, uh, like something similar to a residency uh, to, to be on the ship. No, you don't. Just your regular That passport. I know. Yeah. Yep, just your passport. Well, Kathleen, I'd say you've certainly given us a lot to think about here. Yeah, absolutely. It's so fun to chat with you, Jim. Yeah, it was great to, to talk to you again, to actually have some time to talk yeah. to you. I, I think I've run into you at a conference or two. Right, and right. You're always completely hoarse from talking to all the conference goers for the past three days. <laughs> well, Costa Rica is a very popular country. So, you know, that, that uh, desk is always full with people wanting to chit chat. Right. Um, and, and I've been doing some reporting on Malta now, too. So uh, that's also one of the countries on the radar. Well, I look forward to seeing more about that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again, Kathleen, for being part of our podcast here on Bigger, Better World. Thanks, Jim. The Bigger, Better World podcast is a production of International Living. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you have an idea for an episode or a question you'd like us to answer, email us at mailbag at internationalliving.com. And don't forget to put podcast in the subject line of your email. That's mailbag at internationalliving.com. We created Bigger, Better World to help showcase the ideas we explore at International Living each month and grow our community of travel lovers, expats, and experts who believe, as we do, that the world is full of opportunity to create a more interesting, more international life. You don't have to be rich or famous to do that, you just need to know the secrets, and that's what we bring you at International Living. If you haven't become a member yet, you can do it today with a special discount offer for podcast listeners. You'll receive our monthly magazine plus a bundle of special extras. 
You'll find the link in our show notes, or you can go to intliving.com slash podcast. That's intliving.com slash podcast. Thanks again for tuning in to Bigger, Better World. I'm Jim Santos for International Living, and I'll see you next week when I'll be talking with our Panama editor, Jessica Ramesh, about her move from the big city to the beach. So until next time, remember, there's a bigger, better world waiting for you. Thank you.